Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Welcome to the Swirl Suite, everybody. So we took a little break. Uh, we had a little summer vacation, but we're back. And um, we actually recorded the next two episodes for this week and next week. And I'm really excited for you to hear our special guests because they are restaurateurs. And what's special about our guests this week and next week, they are restaurateurs who decided to bring their culture to the U.S., so our guest today is going to be Aldo Z, and he is a restaurateur in Chicago. He has two restaurants, and they specialize in Italian wine and Italian food. And I will put the links in the description box because these restaurants are adorable. And if you're in the Chicago area, you have to check out Aldo. I can't wait to start traveling again. Anyway, here's our conversation with Aldo. Cheers. Welcome to the Swell Suite, everybody. Happy Wine Wednesday. Hey, Glennis. Hey, Tanisha. Hello. How are you today? Hey. You know, it's hot again, so I'm disappointed because I'm ready for fall, but I'm all good. I'm all good. No complaints. Yes, um, I haven't been outside. I've been stuck to this desk all day. So I was going to say, but it was nice those couple of days opened up the windows and let that breeze of that 60 degree flow in and out, I'm air out you. the house for a minute, had turned the, turned the air conditioning back down. So that was, I feel you, I'm ready for fall. Air conditioning. Wow. Sounds nice. <laughs> oh, goodness. <laughs> wow. That sounds amazing. Well, did it get hot at all in Paris? It did, but like 80s hot. So it wasn't like unbearable. But mm. yeah, we got in the 80s and it's been like that the past uh, couple weeks. Mm. So yeah, so September came and it's like, oh, it's summer. I'm like, wait, this isn't how any of this is supposed to go. Oh, I wanted to show you on this app, right? So I have a Fitbit. Wait, I'm going to take my um, Fitbit off so you can see it. But it's called the Vino app. And so it tracks. Did you my have st- this on your um in your stories or? Yeah. Instagram? So it tracks my steps and everything, right? But I haven't mm-hmm. done a thing today. I didn't exercise. But if I tap it, it'll say you. Wait, you can't see it because it's. But yeah. it'll say how many wine, um, how many wine glasses I deserve today based on my activity. And I thought That's that was so cool. Oh, I'm about to download <laughs> that right, right now. I deserve five just because. <laughs> Man, let me tell you, I hope it, I hope they have it for Apple. Oh, I'm not sure, but it is such a cool app. It's called Vino app. Oh, okay. it's, yeah, it's called Vino. Mm-hmm. Look at me. Toot, so, toot, toot. <laughs> so what's the most you've done so far? Like, um, I have earned up to a bottles. I've earned up to a bottle so far. So it said five okay. glasses. Yeah, but okay, that was, so, I mean, all it's doing is calculating 100 calories per glass. So okay. if you burn, you know, if you burn 500 calories, that's five glasses. But yeah, it just calculates it. So but, is that is that oh is that bottle over a certain period of time? Does it say, okay, you worked out enough to get a bottle for over a week's period of time, or how that mm-hmm. work? No, that day. Girl, nope, just that day. Just that, that day. day. Yeah. We're trying you to carry really over the one and divide by three. Uh-uh. No. Yeah. It doesn't carry over. <laughs> it's not long division, sis. This is not long division. It is that day only. Oh, that's very Tomorrow, try again. Walking yeah. up to the steps. Yeah. See what happens. 
Yeah. Well, I don't feel much. bad drinking my bottle of wine after I finish working out on my Peloton. Then there you go. I Jesus. mean, you know, so it just don't account for the food that you eat. So, oh, you sugar. Know. <laughs> also, never feel bad for drinking your wine. Okay. Let's just, you know, let's there normalize you know. that. There well, you, you go. You only feel just a little bit when you done burnt all them calories, then you sit there nope. like, you know what? I'm thirsty and I know yeah. I need some bubbles. <laughs> it's called self care. <laughs> <laughs> That's like your moment is in, okay? You just you you need go. your time for you. Love yourself, okay? Yeah. Find this app, okay? Yeah. Okay. I'm gonna find it. I'm gonna find. Yeah. It. So we have a special guest today. Um, welcome to the Swirl Suite, Aldo. Hello. How are you? <laughs> yeah. Good. Welcome. How are you? Welcome I'm to doing the Swirl good. Suite. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Awesome. So, for those who don't know you, tell us all about yourself and what you do. Okay, but uh, Aldo Zaninotto is my name, first name. Don't say the last name. It's too hard for you to spell it or even to say it. Uh, so I'm not going to... I will call Aldo Z. How is that? Okay. Um, I'm uh, in Chicago, uh, in Logan Square, and uh, I own two restaurants, one called Osteria Lange, and the second one that just opened last year during the pandemic called Testaccio. So, um, you know, both uh, restaurants are heavily wine-focused, obviously, because prior to this, uh, I was lucky enough to kind of like a circle like Europe, Italy especially, and be in the wine business and bring, trying to bring the culture to the United States as well as its wines. And obviously involved with a lot of chefs, uh, sommelier, you know, uh, owner, uh, right, right, retailers, and trying to bring like to really what the, the wines are all about. And, uh, you know, being in Chicago since 94, starting to the restaurant business. Uh, as a manager, uh, made my way up there to uh, obviously owning a restaurant at some point and then leaving that and then going back to the wine business then come back to open a restaurant again. So, but now I'm set. I'm not going anywhere else. This is it. So this is what I do. Okay. So I, you will see me in both restaurants. Um, the first restaurant, Osteria Lange, is uh, located on Armitage uh, in California. And uh, one cool thing about it is that uh, I actually had uh, the chance to travel through Italy quite a bit, as I mentioned. And one thing that struck with me is there's one always one of these special places that you found in the world that are really <clears throat> dear to you, warm to you. And it was such an incredible experience. And this region was in Piemonte called Barolo. And when I got there, I just <clears throat> fell in love, not just with the wine itself, because there's so much to learn about it and you keep falling involved even deeper. <clears throat> uh, but you get to meet the people of the area, the culture, the history. And then you're looking at this, this hum- amazing site, which is the backdrop. You have the Alps. You see these rolling hills with all beautiful vineyards. And you're like, wow, this really takes you away from everything. And you really, it's like a meditation place. So it's a way you meditate and really truly trying to, to, to see better. The quietness probably also a little bit depth to understand what the wines were all about at some point. Because, you know, when we go into the wine business, you don't really, yeah, you hear stories from farmers, but it's all you get, you know, if you go deep in the roots of why they did this, especially with the Italian culture and French culture, you will know that there's way beyond that. You know, it's not just, oh, I want to make a wine. No, this is a tradition. This is the culture. This is what we've been doing. So I fell in love with Barolo. So when I decided to go back into the restaurant business, leaving the wine business, and as a wine, I, when I say wine business, I really truly hit all the marks of it, meaning I started as a sales rep, 
selling wine, wrapping around Chicago area, <clears throat> calling out the best restaurant like Charlie Trotter's at that time, Everest Room, you name it, you know, Alinea. And then at some point, I kind of moved my rank up there by <clears throat> becoming involved into the brand management. Once I get into the brand management, they allowed me, the company I work for, allowed me to say, hey, why not you look for new wineries? So I started to venture myself in California, plus went to Italy, went to France, brought all this culture. And this is truly how I was able to see all the levels. So when we talk about, you know, being a wine business, rather than just be a sommelier, I was able to go from the starting point, which is directly dealing with the farmers, bring it to the country, knowing the cost, the expectation, the marketing, and then start to develop the brands into the, into the, the, the retail or, or the restaurants. So, yeah. So, and then from there on, <clears throat> uh, when I decided to go back in the restaurant business, they're like, you know, my kids were grown and it was time for me to get my feet settled on the ground again because I was actually traveling 46 weeks a year. Uh, I did this for about 10 years. For me, it was, you know, I, I need to stop there at some point. So I, I realized, say, you know, I need to go back to where I started. So I decided to open a restaurant, but not just one restaurant. So, you know, what would be the concept? What would make me happy? What would I be good at? And of course, you're going back to that source, which is, you deep love, you, why are you loving so much wine? Because you encounter that special moment, you know, being in the vineyard, in the region, Barolo. So I said, you know what, why don't I just like bring that culture back to Chicago, just the way it's done over there, and just repeat itself here in Chicago. And if people cannot afford to go there or don't even know what it means, at least they can come and try and I'll be the ambassador for them to go over there. And this is what happened, a lot of people found uh, this has a value. Uh, when we talk with Italian, Italian is a big culture. Uh, people don't always know that, and I like to remember, remind them this, is that Italy is being unified since 1861. Now, let me do, do this. If I bore you, just let me know, because there's a long history. But Italy is a fairly young country throughout Europe because it was actually became independent and unified since 1861, which means that prior to that, all these different areas from north to south were either, you know, owned by uh, like nobles, or they were um, uh, obviously um, uh, took under special countries. Like if you go to, to the Torino area or Piemonte, it was actually ruled by the French. Uh, <clears throat> prior to the Hungarian took over, it was actually Monopolion who gave the land back to the farmers, you know? so. When you see all that culture, it's just to give you an example that is a little bit more than say, oh, it's Italy. Okay, Piemonte is influenced to the French. If you go to Milano, it's influenced to the Swiss. If you go to Venice, it's influenced to like closer to, you know, like Slovenia and all that part of the world there. And if you go down in the South, you will know like for instance, Rome, it's influenced to the Mediterranean, which is, could be Turkey, Israel, you know, it could be Egypt, uh, it could be also Morocco and uh, Algeria and Tunisia, uh, all the islands are influenced that way. Uh, and that's through the history. So when Italy became one in 1861, it was kind of hard to say, oh, let's do one big bowl of pasta and just sell this pasta. No, it's like, no, we make the pasta better in our region than these guys are doing that region, you know? So it was very important to me to make the people to understand that. So when I bring a wine, I really try to bring the culture of each region. Having said that, I decided to open Australia, which is truly, the cooking is 100% from that region. My task was last year to take on the satchel and say, okay, I got the north cover, one region. 
want to do now. And by the way, Turin was the first capital of Italy. Everybody doesn't know that, but when Italy started to be unified, the first couple regions were north, northern Italy, and Turin was the Rome of Italy. So then into the you know 40s and 30s or 20s, then Rome became the capital of Italy. So, so I decided for my next step was why I have the northern Italian cover, why not now just showing maybe the southern part of Italy, which to me, when we speak southern, you cannot just speak uh, you know, like Sicily or Puglia or Calabria. You got to talk about what's the essential place. And to me, it was Rome and Rome and its culture. So we decided to open this restaurant called Testaccio. Testaccio stands for a specific neighborhood in Rome, probably the oldest neighborhood of Rome, where everything was traded. And uh, you will see that if you go there, that there's this Monte Testaccio, which is a made man hill. And it was man, made man. Uh, made man hill made out of gold and for us that were broken down when they were doing the, the trading. You know, they were leaving all the forest there. And after breaking, then it became a hill. So I decided to focus on that. And here the wine is, is a little bit more diverse because it is the Mediterranean. So you have Sicilian wine, Korean wine, you will have wines from Calabria, from Basilicata, from uh, Campania, and you name it, all the southern part of Italy. So, and the cuisine, of course, different. I would say that if Torino is more French influenced, this is definitely more Mediterranean, more spices, lighter, uh, lively. Uh, the room, as an instance, is definitely a bit more bright, a bit more energy versus, versus my first restaurant is actually, Sri Lanka is more cozy in some ways, more romantic. So that's pretty much in yeah. a nutshell. I was going to ask you how you narrowed down what Italian wines each restaurant was going to have, because to me, like Italian wine is so, it can be so complicated. It's so many to choose from. It is. It's, it's a good question because truly, I think one of the most misunderstood in the wine, also in the food, perhaps, it's Italy. It's more, the place that's most uh, misunderstood because Italy, everybody thinks about, oh, yeah, I make the best uh, meatballs or meat sauce or ragu or whatever, but it's not just that. I understand why we're used to the sort of transplanted Italian American now to bring the home cooking. My mother cooks ragu, but she cooks a ragu different than someone else from another region. Well, you know, we just cook ragu. Ragu is ragu. Okay, lasagna is lasagna. Okay, pizza is pizza. Okay, we know that. But if you really go deep down and you travel to Italy, you understand and open your mind more. It's like, well, you know, it's like me saying in Rome, hey, I want a, a plane with the torches. They don't look at me and say, you're in the wrong region. You need to go up north. You need to drive six hours away. Oh, shit, that's right. You know? So, um, you know, when I came, obviously, back with this message, I was so convinced that, number one, we know that the, we make it easy on us. Pinot Grigio, for instance, is the emblem of white wine for Italy, right? Prosecco is a sparkling wine of Italy. Okay, we can call the champagne somewhere else, but Prosecco is pretty thick, right? And then the red wine, it's always like, oh, I want a, I want a Pinot Noir. Well, that to me is like, it's because people go in the easy way because it's easier for them to understand the style that they want. So I kind of had to combine that and realize what customers, when they ask you, and that's why I tell my staff all the time, when they, when you ask a question, you ask them, what do you, what do you drink typically? And they will tell you, oh, I like Pinot Noir. That gives you an idea that they want something lean, 
fruity, not rich, not intense, something softer, you know, than just someone who wants a Cabernet Sauvignon, who wants more intensity, happy body, full, screaming. So with that said, it was very important to start because if I would bring wines from Italy to customers, I was just can find out number one, what was the cuisine that they were making, accomplishing. So if let's say in the winter we have a lot of lamb and we have a lot of venison, you know, I could bring a Pinot Noir, it's good, but Cabernet would be better. But in Italy, we don't really focus on Pinot Noir Cabernet. So what kind of other one can I bring to this? And so this is what I focus. Number one, I try to explain. Let's go with to what the people looking for style was. It identify each style. Number two, let's then bring the culture and say, well, if you live in Southern, you should definitely find the ones from the Southern part of Italy because it's proper to the area for them. And if you go, go even deeper, if there's a specialty that's from one area, maybe that one would be even better suited to that, you know? So it was a big struggle to at first. But when I would go to chefs or to sommelier or to managers or restaurant retail, I would explain this and say, hey, there's a value to this wine because of this. And, you know, it complements your food on the menu. I think the profile people would like that. You know, I know they want a Pinot Grigio. This is not, but it is like a Pinot Grigio from a different thing. And I think more and more people understood really, truly the value. When I always try to make my customer feel comfortable when they come over here and open that discussion with them. And this is why they truly understand, you know. So um, it's been uh, it's been a challenge, but it's been good. And people found the value to come over here for something. That's awesome. And I was actually watching um, a show on Italy earlier, and he was breaking down um, the different parts of Italy and how different they can be. And yeah. some parts are going to be really heavy into olive oil. And then yeah. he was in Milan, and he said they eat nothing but polenta. And it's more about polenta and the butter. And I was like, that, I mean, that that's awesome. That's awesome. It sounds like that's exactly what you're doing with your restaurants. It is exactly that. And that's what I want to make sure, you know, it's easy to say that, uh, I mean, today you got to be more creative. But creative doesn't mean, oh, I wanted to impress other people. I think for me, my language, which is my background, I was lucky enough to be born with a family that were in the restaurant business. They were in food traditional in Europe from Brussels. Uh, they brought the Venetian food over there. Uh, so I remember on Sunday morning, that was the day that my mother would be off. And my father was at the restaurant because my mother was a chef over there. And then she would, I would wake up in the 7 a.m. with the smell of the cooking. And that smell of the cooking as well. But every day, every Sunday was like that. It was a tradition. She cooks for the, for the family on Sundays. My grandfather would come over and, you know, cousins, things like that. And, uh, you know, with that said, I was able to learn that there's nothing better with the sense of smell that invites you to then do some other things. So, you know, um, I think that people will realize if they go to different places, they're going to discover the different smell or the different character of the cuisine. Um, for me, it was, it was very easy to identify because I was lucky enough to be born into that type of environment. So, do this. As a matter of fact, I sent my kids to Italy after they graduated from high school before going to college. And I said, all right, you're going for four or five months, you're going to go do the harvest in Italy. And they were like, yeah. so am I going to be close to Milan? I said, no, no, you're going to be in a small village with a family. Yeah, but are there any places that I can go to? I said, I'm going to have to get your Vespa because 
There's one bus that goes every day and that's it. You know, so if you miss that bus, you gotta take a taxi. We don't wanna do that. But what kind of place is that? So when they discovered the place, like looked around, they said, there's only a few houses here. Like, yeah, it's a village. But you're gonna truly live the way I grew up, you know? And they looked like, oh. they came back after five or six months and they're like just you know, mesmerizing. Uh, really amazing experience, yeah. So I was able enough for them that they understood that sort of culture where they would wake up. Um, my daughter was with one of the matriarch of the winery uh, that she spent the time with. And this lady is super famous. One day she pulled up, she said, hey, do you want to make a risotto for me? I'm going to show you how to make risotto. And they start to make risotto. I mean, and she was telling the story of how her grandfather taught her how to make the risotto. She said, come on, let's go get, you know, the herbs from that, from there, uh, from outside. And it's like, my daughter's never really that before. But once she touched that, she's like, wow, this is really amazing. So I said, well, remember that you're lucky enough to do this. So I encourage people that they should discover cultures, you know, and truly try to do the best they can. Spend a month, spend two weeks, spend three weeks for friends, you know, do the same way. That is awesome. What a great story. How lucky are your kids to just go to Italy and spend so much time there? That's awesome. So back up, you opened one of your restaurants during a pandemic. How did that happen? And and Uh, what does that look like now? uh, You know, the the, the challenges in life, uh, life is all about uh, take on the challenge. You know, if I still like, okay, you become creative about this you believe you know when you believe into something you gotta keep believing it um i always tell this to my kids as well too now uh so what happened is the way that is actually i get serendipity uh, but um i was coming back from a trip two years ago years ago and my daughter told me she just graduated from college she said well, she was working with me like as a hostess and say hey papa you know they, you know they close Kyoto and like oh Strange, really. I thought the restaurant was doing well, but no, no, they closed it. So anyway, I said, let's go take a look. I like the location. And that was not last year. That was the year before. It was in July, August. So I contacted right away the commercial agent and uh, start to have discussions. And, you know, negotiation back and forth. I took her over through all the steps. So she was part of it because I said, this is your concept. This is your restaurant. She's like, what do you mean? I said, well, you're going to be part of this if you want to. She's like... Oh, okay. Yeah. So I showed her every phase is how you build a business, how you have the concept, um, you know, um, and, and then trying to, you know, when, when you have this idea in mind, say, okay, we need to roam. This is the price, the best location we can do. Let's see if we have enough seats. Let's see how much money this space is going to take us to do this. So anyway, we struck a deal. And in January, we signed the lease. Guess what happened? And then it started in March. Uh, you're like starting to get stressed out a bit. But it's all in the works, you know, the financials have been placed already, you got all the money, you start to make your goals, and then comes a the point to say, is it really worth doing it? I felt like, you no, know, but I didn't even know what pandemic means to me. At that time, there was not yet the idea of shutting down everything, except watching on TV, what happened to Hank. But I thought it's going to go maybe for a short time, because we're good enough in this country. We know that we're resilient, you know? So maybe this is a good time to open a restaurant somewhere. So I kept going with that. And then after that, of course, things started to fall apart. We had to shut down all the business. Uh, financially, this is where you have to be creative. You have to be honest. You have to be finding your way and explaining. And if it doesn't work, why right, you just like, well, 
and say, no, those are my two options. Uh, I decided to persist. I discussed uh, rent abatement with my landlord and we're able to scale out that way. So we opened in July and uh, by October, we were shut down for five months. I decided it was for both restaurants, it was better off to shut them down both. Uh, just to make sure that first my staff is safe and number two, there was no need for me to struggle to create more expenses, uh, to go deeper in the hall. Uh, then just said, let's just shut down. Maybe I can catch up. If you can stay six, seven months without expenses besides the rent. It's better off than just trying to stay alive, create more, uh, deeper hall. So I made that decision. I made it happen to be good, uh, not good because, uh, it was, uh, you know, me in six months, eight, February will, but then came the struggle reopening the restaurant with no staff, you know, uh, nobody wanted to come to work, obviously, and then not knowing whether the customers were going to accept this or not. Uh, but quickly, I would say by April, we were back to normal. I would say that we were lucky enough to, to do this. So yeah, it was, it was probably a challenge, but a good experience for my daughter as well to understand. I don't think this is a moment you're ever going to see something like this. So maybe this is might as well. Just be so she understood. And how did your other restaurant do during the pandemic? Same thing. We, because we're known um, in Chicago, we've been established there for about close to eight years now. Uh, our restaurant is, I don't call it myself this, but it's been named as one of the darling of Chicago because it is located to this little tiny neighborhood, uh, small, 60 seats, uh, small staff. Um, you know, we're trying to stay open. Um, just because we knew that perhaps if we could do two or three days of carryouts, people would then, you know, perhaps have their quick takes at home. But I quickly understood that it was not really quality wise, it was not the same because our food, since the prices are freshly made, wasn't traveling so well. And, you know, even so people were excited, you know, it's a, it's a second celebration at home. It wasn't really truly the same. And for me, I don't want to do things halfway. I really want to make sure that someone has the experience, they have a memory a good experience however what i did though is i created sort of a this little wine retail shop virtual and i did this with the wine of the region and i did that for christmas and thanksgiving and it was such a huge hit which to me really like it was a tap on the shoulder said you're doing something good people following you they really believe in you they trust in you and we had so many orders amazing uh good thing also is the community around us was so um, so nice to support us in any ways they could. Uh, extra money for the wait staff, uh, trying to order as so much as they can. So they would order so much wine or they would order so much food when we had it that we had to say, oh, the shutdown, we were sold out. That was such a great support. You know? And when you read something like this or you, you see it, you understand, like, well, we have something good here. Let's stay here. You know, let's fight for this. So I have a question before we move on to um, orange wines. Yes. Glennis and Tanisha, how do you guys feel about orange wines? Glennis, you got it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh uh. Did you picture? Well, that picture says it all. Uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> like, we were fine with white and red. We didn't need another color. <laughs> Oh, yeah, definitely fine with that. I think my, I'm still searching to find more, I guess the more, most politically correct way to say I'm still looking forward to being exposed to more orange wines that I feel are palatable. I'm totally with you with this. I'm totally with you with this. 
You you in? I mean, really? That is you know. politically correct. Uh, yes. Mm-hmm. So Sorry. you feel the same way, Tanisha? I'm not searching though. I mean, if it happens, one happens to cross my path during the tasting, but I'm not looking. No, I'm not looking. Yeah. It would look for you though. Yes, it has to find me. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a little more open than I was, say, a few years ago, because that when they when they first arrived in DC. They were just, they were, t- they were tough to drink, um, just unfiltered and just sort of grungy and thick. And I, I don't know, but now <clears throat> they're, they're a little bit better. Um, they're softer. Um, they're, uh, the nose isn't as harsh. It's, I don't know. So I am currently searching for orange wine. So I will try them if I see them, but, um, Aldo, um, your, your, um, your PR girl, she really wanted me to bring up orange wine so you could speak yeah. on it. So go for it. Well, I'm a, I guess I'm, I'm an old school guy. And uh, it's good. Speaking one way, but you also have to go. You have to go with the, you know, the flow. Sometimes if you can. And it's like you, it's hard to open my mind to something I'm not used to. So back then when I was importing wine, uh, I talked about uh, was it 12 years ago, 14 years ago. Um, I went into this uh, big uh, festival in, in Italy, Verona, uh, and that's for in Italy. And then they had this off festival, which was focused on orange wine. Now, first of all, let me tell you something. I hate that name, orange, because orange to me scares me. It means like, what is it, the wine turns? So, but you know, curiosity took me that, hey, I need to go see what this is all about. And... Hey, it was a nice little show. It was good. And I was really impressed. Whoa, minerality is there, tannins. Ooh, the color is like very strange color. And I start to get a little bit, oh, this is interesting. And the more you go into this tasting, the more like, oh, you know, I found some excitement. Uh, the next year over, I came back to that same tasting. And oh my God. First of all, it was a line out the door, all around the corner, or whatever this property was. And, oh, this is not good. Everybody's fighting to try to get a sample. And so I'm, 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 I'm pushed back to the tables nobody goes to. And I understood why, because these wines were horrible. They taste like turpentine to me. They were like stern. They were not. And to me, it's like, oh, no, this is what's happening. One, the, the, those wineries that we taste last year were doing so good. Now, all of a sudden, everybody is jumping to the bandwagon because it's different. Let me tell you also my, my observation, because I see this with my customer today. It's a new thing orange wine. Well, it's salt because it's an old traditional way to make wine. And I always tell my customer, and you know, um, oh, you know, I'm out of orange wine, but I might have lemon wine if you want to. And they look at me and say, you have lemon wine? And I say, yeah, lemon. You don't know about this? Oh, no. What is it? Oh, forget about orange. This is like so old. Go to lemon. Oh, really? And like, oh, so I bring them the clean wine that I do, that I, know, that I like, you know, or even natural wine. Uh, the thing is, you know, in America, we're always looking for new flavor, new profile. And I realize this because if you look at the history of what the wine business has been going on, think about this. Back in the 1920s, they were drinking like basically grape juice that was barely fermented. And only long ago into the 1990s, we were drinking white Merlot and white Zin. What is that? That is not you know, the wine that I know. All of a sudden, we have the romance of drinking Pinot Grigio or drinking Cabernet Sauvignon. Now we know all about wine. So what's next is that orange wine is different. And the reason why people like that is because it's a different profile, it's a discovery. So uh, 
I'm jumping into it because I like him, some of them. Um, I don't know if uh, you know, my next project, we, we discussed maybe ahead of the game, but I'm opening up this uh, wine, speakeasy wine launch, which is uh, below Testaccio, going to be called Swaf Wine Launch. And Swaf is totally dedicated to the majority of the wine would be natural. Now, my little anecdote, I've been going, Tanisha, you're in, you're in Paris, and uh, you were there probably, la, 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 I was there last week, maybe you came across in the wine bar, I don't know. But I went to do my research the last few years, and I came across a lot of great places, one called Frenchy, one called Porbert, you know, you name it. I mean, really fantastic wine bar, uh, small, to understand better what uh, that natural wine, because it's a big wave of this new generation focusing on that, making them, uh, the people uh, who are selling them excited. Uh, you know, that new, the new generation is really all about that. It's about, let's bring back to what was done before. We don't want to talk about big production. We want to talk about this small guy that puts his boots on and just goes in the vineyard, uh, uses the horse, you know, for like mauling the land in between. So, um, you know, I did my research and I remember one first time a couple of years ago, I said, do you have any orange wine? Oh my God. She looked at me, the, the, the waitress sommelier, and she said, I thought you were speaking French. I said, yes, because I say I speak French, but we don't really use this, uh, this thing called orange wine. What? You must be, do you live in America? I said, yes. Oh my God, that was such a big thing. It's like, oh no. Now we do, we do serve natural wine, but we don't do really orange wine. So that's to give you like, you know, and I, I try to explain this to my customer. Now that I'm trying to put them back to where they should know, but don't go sometimes too much with the flow. Just like follow the sommelier, follow the trend in a good way. Don't go just because this is the new hot thing, you know. I tried that and almost lost everything on the inside of me. So I'm going to approach with caution. Yes, Because do. I was like, oh, yeah, it's got invited natural orange wine. And I was sick the whole day because it was that bad. Yeah. So I'm going to approach with caution. I'm going to take your word for it. And if I'm in Chicago and the speakeasy's open, I'm going to come in and say, okay, I have an open mind. But yeah. let me tell you and let me warn you. If it's not what I like about talking about you on this world, sweet. Uh, 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 no, 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 no. <laughs> well, I'm excited. That all sounds yeah, great to me. I'm like, when is the wine bar opening? Will it be open by Christmas? I'll be back home by then. Oh, yeah, we should be. Yes, yes, yes. Oh, yes. nice. I, promise, I don't have the dates yet, but it is really coming close. Actually, I'm going through the wine selection as we speak. Hmm. Uh, setting up the tasting by Monday with uh, the distributors. And I did set, send the information to all my distributors. Don't worry, bring me big name wine. I want natural and I want classic and I want good quality wine. The price doesn't make any difference to me. I really want people to come for the experience, you know, just okay. the way I would have in Paris. So, yeah. yeah. I know you said you're not going anywhere, but if you ever wanted to just like have a restaurant in D.C. or Maryland, we would welcome yeah. you. Oh I'm my just God! Yes. Put that out there, yes. girl. We'll just yeah. go to Chicago. Like, what are you talking about? Yeah, like, we don't. Come we don't on. live there. Like, I want to walk to this these places. I want it in yeah. my backyard. Yeah, like, if you yeah. get on a Southwest flight, that's like your backyard. Ooh, no. That's no. <laughs> in the winter. Flies right to Chicago. I mean, yeah. I ain't say experience. Southwest still does all right. Southwest. No, I said especially <laughs> in the winter. Yeah, y'all, y'all winners are no joke. It's not that bad. You know, put the best coat on, on scarf. No, I'm talking about flying in. Sometimes it does not work trying to fly into Chicago in the winter because they cancel no. the flights. 
Mm. So that's I've why never, we want I've never something had a flight in canceled. the backyard so we can either catch the train. <laughs> never had a flight live. canceled. Yeah. Yeah, no. we're, we're spoiled. We want it all here. Yeah. yeah. Um, Chicago has the best Midwest, restaurants anyway. So, East. of course, it would be in Chicago. Sorry. No, that, I mean, that's actually true. Y'all have a lot of good restaurants. I can't even lie to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We good restaurants. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. And our last question is mostly like about the restaurant industry with um with us being in in a pandemic and businesses are getting back to normal has the sommelier position changed yeah it's a it's a very you know somebody goes it's a great job surely and i was able enough to be somebody at some point the sommelier situation in this country is very misunderstood because it should be typically as a full-time position, meaning the person should focus solely to, solely to, to wine and beverage program. And unless you go to places such as Alinea or places like the super high caliber, like it is in Europe, you don't typically have places to be able to afford to have a sommelier. If it's a restaurant group, you have them, you know, and obviously you start to see they, they work around. But when you work for the corporate world, there's always a quota, you know, you cannot go higher than this. You need to make money for the business. So there's no freedom of being able to say, hey, you know what? Uh, I can do whatever I want with my wine program. Well, number one, you cannot do it because it's our money. It's expensive to do this if you want to do that. Number two, a good sommelier should be able to focus not on his personality, but more the personality of the restaurant, you know, and be creative about that. So with that said, a lot of restaurants are hiring the way called sommelier, but they involve them in doing other tasks, like closing the restaurant down, uh, besides doing inventory as well, managing customers, and then on top of it, be in charge of the, the wine program, you know? Uh, so I, when I came to Chicago, I worked with a restaurant where we didn't have the title of sommelier, but we were involved as a manager, as wine buyers. You know, we would go through our tasting weekly. We were looking at to see what we need to order. We are looking to see, oh, we have opportunity for this wine on the list, or, you know, we want to uh, add this on the list, or, you know, we're going to have a wine dinner with this winemaker. So as a manager was truly to try to do marketing on your own. With the, with the sommelier, there's a lot of pressure on them to say, oh, you expect to do this, as we said sometimes. That's my belief. Now, there are great people out there that really are super talented. I've seen them, this new generation coming up. Uh, it's a little more difficult for them to become a full-time sommelier because they truly wanted to focus on that, but they don't, they're not always allowed to do this, you know, 100%. Especially with the pandemic, you know, number one, we have a shortage of people, uh, as you know, that we don't have as many people as we access to too many people as we used to. Slowly, it's coming back now. Uh, the business is there, but not enough labor, you know. So people have been kind of pulled left and side. I talked to a friend of mine. He, he'd be working two weeks in a row without a day off because one manager is gone. And so, you know, this is what they do, right? They say, well, your manager is gone. You need to replace that person. So we need you. Because at the end of the day, they get a salary or they get a commission or whatever. So, yeah, it's it, I, I think it's going to come back in a different way, the sommelier situation. Uh, and truly, uh, it's a big word to say you want to be a sommelier. There's way more to do uh, than, than, than just be just the aspect of the business, you know, to really understand that. And sometimes you see waiters who want to become a sommelier, but they really truly need to understand how it works, the system, you know. Uh, what's the inventory look like? uh, if Do I do wines because I like this wine or do I taste the wine because I need to fill in this gap for the customer or for the restaurant? So it is much more than that. 
But there's, like I said, there's great, great people that I've seen uh, lately being creative on their wines. And I, I really like combined with their wine drop. Like, you know, they're really very creative about it. Short personality. So it's very encouraging to see that. So a question for Tanisha and Glennis. I haven't been out a whole bunch. I've only been to a handful of restaurants and there were no Psalms in those restaurants that I was at. Um, have you guys seen sommeliers since the pandemic has started? Yes. Um, as a matter of fact, this past Saturday, this past weekend, um, a good friend of mine who um, has launched a business called Blue um, Events Ex Experiences had a small dinner party at La Vie. Mm, in Southwest on mm -hmm. DC. And um, he said, Glennis, order the wines. He said, I have a tab with them because he had to cancel um, a previous, his his previous um, business launch because of um, COVID mm -hmm. last year. So he had already paid. So he said, we got to, we got to use up our, use up my tab. He said, Glennis, get the wine list and order a couple of bottles of sparkling and a still wine for dinner. I said, no problem. <laughs> I got it. And the Somalia came over and mm -hmm. um, he, I said, um, we're going to, and I explained to him what I wanted to order. And I looked down and he, so the waiter was kind of standing there and the Somalia was listening. And he was like, well, I can look, here we go. Oh, we got Moet, we got Vuclico. And I'm looking, I said, can I see the wine list? And the Somalia kind of then took over. And I said, <laughs> I want the Cremant. Excellent. Um, I, I, I can pull up the name of the particular Cremant, but it's Cremant de Alsace. It's from Alsace. Mm -hmm. And he said, oh, you like Alsatian wines? I was like, oh, of course, especially Cremant from Alsace. So um, he was very knowledgeable. He said, what I loved about him was, he said, he came back over. He said, when you all finish, you know, the appetizers, or before you finish the appetizer, have me come back over so we can talk about what wines you want, because some of them need to be aired before and decanted before I pour them for you. Very nice. Like, exactly, exactly. Yeah. And I forgot where he, he was. He's, he's from Croatia, I think, ah. originally. So, mm -hmm. hmm. really. Yeah. yeah. Tanisha, what about you? Psalms working in Paris? Um, there are a few at some of the higher, higher end restaurants. The thing mm -hmm. about here, though, is a lot of them, they, you know, all feel like they're Psalms. So some places <laughs> mm -hmm. just don't have a special person to do it. They're like, I'm French. I know, I know wine. So I don't, like, I'm a Psalm too. So yeah, yeah it's the culture is a little bit different in that regard. That's fair. Oh. That makes sense. It does. Makes, yeah. 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 <laughs> Well, Aldo, this was a wonderful conversation with you. Thank, thank you. thank you so much. Thank you Where for allowing me to have to have me on your show. Sure. Really like a lot to okay. Yeah. Please tell us your restaurants and where everybody can follow your restaurants and you. Yeah. So the first one, Osteria Lange, is located at 2024 West Army If you want to go on the Instagram, it's Osteria Lange, spells O-S as in San T-E-R-A. Lange, L-A-N-G-H-E, all one word. You can go on to the site there. And then uh, Testacho, Chicago. Uh, Testacho, another word is a little bit different. So it's E-E-S-T-A-C-C-I-O, Chicago. And same thing on the Instagram, you'll find that there. Um, really, be, uh, you know, it's uh, we open uh, five days a week right now, perhaps we're going to start to go six days as soon as we find more people. 
um, you know, open only for dinner, typically. And then we do Sunday brunch at Pistachio. We do like this Roman, Romance brunch. Uh, and uh, yeah, follow us. We have a lot of uh, good things happening all the time. We have a band playing once in a while, out of the blue. Uh, you know, we always have events. We're always understanding and know how we're truly in a neighborhood restaurant. You know, we're trying to create something. So, yeah. And then look for SWAF. SWAF Lounge spells S-4-I-F-L-O-U-N-G-E. So SWAF Lounge, you'll see. Um, it will be announced in the next couple of weeks on the specific date when we're going to be open. Oh, awesome. Yeah. I'm looking forward yeah. to that. I will see yeah. you in the state. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 I'll see you at Christmas. Yeah, please, please, don't hesitate. Right. Well, awesome. You have a wonderful Thanks for joining us, World Sweet Guys. We hope you enjoyed this episode as much as we did. Don't forget to follow Aldo and his restaurants and look out for his new wine bar. Don't forget to follow us on social media. I am Vine Me Up, Girl Meets Glass, Tanisha, Glennis, Vino Noir, and Leslie, Vino 301. If you really enjoyed this episode, share it on social media, leave us a comment, or simply rate or like on whatever platform you're listening. Have a great day, and we hope you all are safe. Cheers.